And if you want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We'll be looking there to God's Word this morning. So if you remember last week, we looked at several verses in this great chapter, and we saw these great words of our Lord concerning the unity of our triune God. The unity of our triune God, that He is unified in all that He does, not only in the revelation of Himself. What did Jesus tell Philip last week? To see Me is to see the Father also, right? That the revelation of the Son gives way to the revelation of God the Father. We saw the unity of our triune God's nature, that the Father indwells the Son, and the Son indwells the Father in in this beautiful and profound mystery of the doctrine of the Trinity. But we also saw last week the unity of our triune God's works. That as Jesus said last week, the Father who dwells in me does his works. That all that the Son does is also the doing of the Father and the Spirit. This is the united work of our triune God in his works of redemption. And we're going to see this continue in the several verses that we're going to look at this morning. Our Lord will turn to his disciples in these couple verses, and he's going to give them some great gospel promises, some great promises concerning himself. These are some of maybe even, if not, the greatest promises we see in Scripture. Promises that should give us profound comfort and confidence as we come before the Lord and as believers. But if any of you have looked at the verses that we're going to see this morning, sadly some of you know that these verses have actually been used to confuse and contradict God's Word. There are verses that have been used by prosperity preachers to teach false doctrine. They've been used by word of faith teachers to proclaim things about God's Word that are not true. But I think in the process of these wrong and erroneous uses of these passages, we've actually come to shy away from them. We've actually, in some senses, I think, avoided these verses altogether. These are not the verses you're going to see on many Reformed t-shirts, right? You will do greater works than me. You're not going to see that on many t-shirts in the Reformed world, or ask anything in my name and you will receive it. And I think in some ways we've kind of shied away from these verses because of their misuse, and this should not be. And so what we're going to see this morning is in these promises of Christ that we actually have great hope to hold on to these promises as believers, and that Christ has given his people these wonderful promises so that they might have comfort and encouragement as they walk through this life. And that even though our Lord is speaking to the disciples here in a special way, preparing them for his coming departure, we're going to see that even though he is going to leave, that his work in them and in us in no way is going to cease, but is actually going to increase. His work in his people will not cease but will actually increase in every way. Not only in his continued power from heaven, working in and among his people by doing these great works, but by his great power 
in the glorifying of God in the prayers of his people. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to read our passage. I'll pray for us, and then we will look to God's word. I'll begin at verse 7, but we'll be looking this morning at verses 12 through 14. Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. But Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you and praise you for giving us your word. And it is by your word alone that we have these great promises that you have given to us in Holy Scripture, promises that are meant to give us comfort, to rest our weary souls to give us encouragement in our walk as believers in this world. And so we pray this morning that you would illumine the eyes of our hearts this morning, that we might see the truths of your word, that we might grab hold of them and rest upon them this morning as we go through this life. And we pray, Lord, that as we see your great promises and your continued power and working in us, your people, that you would give us great strength this morning. It's only by your Spirit that we can see and understand these things. And so we ask and pray and rely on you this morning to do what only you can do. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at two different things this morning. We're going to look at two different parts of this passage. First, in verse 12, we're going to see Christ's continued power in the works of his people. Christ's continued power in the works of his people. And secondly, we're going to see Christ's continued power in the prayers of his people. Christ's continued power in the prayers of his people in verses 13 and 14. So first we see Christ's continued power in the works of his people. We see in verse 12, our Lord make an amazing promise, a glorious declaration, almost too wonderful, seemingly impossible for us to understand. He says in verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. 
amazing words from our Lord. He, he turns to them and He says these words that He says so often, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. Verily, verily. Listen to what I'm saying. This is really important. You need to listen to what I am about to tell you. Pay close attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, the one that has their faith in me, the one that trusts in me, will do the works that I do and greater works than these. As we know, Jesus had just answered Philip's request to see the glory of the Father. He has shown us in verse 9 that the glory of the Son is the same glory as the glory of the Father, and that Jesus' words and works are not independent of the working of the Father, but that the Father who dwells in Him does His works and speaks His word through the work of the Son. And we talked last week how this testifies to Christ's divine nature. He's not just a man that speaks forth the Word of God as the prophets in the Old Testament, but He is the unique Son of the Eternal Father. But we also see how this working and the Word of our Lord demonstrates God's glory in His work and in His words. And so as we come to this passage where we learn and hear about these greater works that God's people will do, we have to ask ourselves this question, what does Jesus mean here? What are these greater works? How can believers do the same works as the Son of God and even greater works? How could this be possible? Sadly, as we've already mentioned, we are familiar with many of the common interpretations of our day that misuse and abuse this passage of Scripture. Using this language of greater works to justify this idea of continuous, miraculous signs and wonders for our day. Teaching that Christians will do greater miracles than Jesus did. This passage is often used to that end. Greater works will do, and that's what is often argued. And if we're honest, at first glance, it sort of appears that way, right? It sort of appears as if this is what Jesus is saying. Whoever believes in me will do greater works than I do. And we believe in the authority of Scripture, and we're not going to cut this part of the Bible out So what do we do with this passage? How are we to understand these things? Well, I think one reason this part of Scripture is often misunderstood in our day is because it's often quoted in isolation of the rest of the passage. It's often quoted separated from what our Lord has just been saying, the point He is trying to make and the question He is trying to answer. If you remember in verse 8, Philip said, I want to see the glory of God. Show me the Father. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see God's glory. And Jesus had just said, in other words, because the Father dwells in me, the words that I speak and the works that I do demonstrate, they witness to, they bear forth, they show forth God's glory in my words and in my works. That's their purpose. Their purpose is to show forth 
God's glory. And so we can say that in what Jesus is doing here in verse 12, in sort of an analogous or a similar way, he is saying, so now believers who are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ will do the same works and greater works, demonstrating, witnessing to, and showing forth God's glory in them. That's their purpose. Their purpose is to show forth the glory of God and the continuing of His working and His power. But the question that still remains, what are these works? (laughs) What are the works that Jesus is referring to here? What are these greater works that people that believe in Him will do? Well, the first thing we need to see this morning is the specific apostolic fulfillment. The specific apostolic fulfillment of this passage, namely the sign miracles of the apostles. The sign miracles of the apostles that Jesus here is speaking in a unique way to his disciples gathered there in the upper room, the 11 disciples that are with him. The same ones who will go on in the book of Acts to do these greater works, continuing the work of the risen and ascended Christ as apostles, as Christ's appointed agents. Christ continues his power in the work of his apostles. And we can say in one sense that they performed greater miracles than Christ, right? Jesus healed with the hem of his garment. Peter heals by his shadow. Jesus had 11 disciples at the end of his public ministry. In the book of Acts, thousands are converted in one single day. So we can say greater in the number of conversions. That these greater works are demonstrating God's glory in His appointed emissaries. Witnessing to and validating the message of the gospel that they are preaching. This gospel that is to go to the nations. They are showing forth their unique apostolic authority in the laying of the foundation of the church and the later writing of the New Testament. This is the unique apostolic fulfillment. And this is exactly what we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 2. What does it say? That this message of the gospel was declared at first by the Lord Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also, very important words, bore witness. While God bore witness, made manifest, testified to by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. That there's this pattern in Scripture that is very important for us to understand why the apostles were given this gift of greater works and greater miracles than even our Lord did. That we see this pattern in Scripture of God acting, God confirming His acts, and then God inscripturating His acts. We see this in the first book of the Bible, in God's work of creation. God acts in creation through Moses and the prophets. He confirms His acts, and then in Holy Scripture in the Old Testament, He inscripturates His acts through the words of Moses and the prophets this work of creation. What do we see in the New Testament? The same pattern. God acts 
in the Lord Jesus Christ in His act of new creation. He confirms this act by the miracles and the signs and the wonders of the apostles, and then He inscripturates those acts in the writing of the New Testament. So we see this pattern in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we can see how these words of our Lord have specific apostolic fulfillment. They're fulfilled in these unique signs and wonders that accompanied the apostles. But the question that we should ask is, is this the only thing our Lord had in view? Is this the only thing that Jesus is referring to. Well, while there is, I believe, a specific apostolic fulfillment, I think we can also see a universal ecclesiastical fulfillment in all of God's people. That in one sense, I think our charismatic brothers and sisters are right because Jesus does say, whoever believes in me will do these works and greater works that this we can say this is a sense in which this is true of all believers all believers will participate in these greater works but you're saying Kendall I haven't done a miracle recently I haven't raised somebody from the dead I haven't healed someone of leprosy what do you mean by these greater works what could be greater than a physical healing What could be greater than raising someone from the dead? What could be greater than opening the eyes of the blind? What could be greater than these miraculous works that Jesus did? And the answer in John's Gospel is spiritual resurrection. (laughs) Spiritual sight given to the blind. Spiritual life where there was only death. This is the answer of John's Gospel. This is what we've seen as we've gone through. It's not about the physical signs. It's not about the miracles, right? It's about pointing to what the signs point to, what the works point to. Everybody in John's Gospel gets caught up on the physical. Nicodemus says, can I go into my mother a second time? Jesus says, no, you must be born again. The woman at the well, you need living water, not just water from this well. You need the bread from heaven, the bread of life. You need spiritual sight. You need spiritual resurrection from the dead. This is the greater works of regeneration and sanctification, new creation by the Spirit. I love what John Gill said. He said, the conversion of a sinner is a greater work than any of the earthly miracles. (laughs) The conversion of a sinner is a greater work than any of the earthly miracles. That the greater works of the church preaching the gospel to all the nations. Jesus was limited to a 50-mile radius in Israel. The gospel now goes to all nations seeing those who were dead in their sins and trespasses made alive together with Christ This is a greater work. Seeing a believer conformed to the image of Christ, putting their sin to death, and being raised to newness of life, this is a greater work. And we see at the end of verse 12 that all of this is connected to and cannot be separated from Christ's continued work in His people. He says, all of this is possible. Why? Why? because I am going to the Father. 
that Christ's work is not diminished because he departs, but it's increased in every way. That the greater things done by Christ's people are in reality done by Christ himself. No one can say, look at the miracle I did. Look at the great work that I did. Look at me converting myself. No, all of this work is a work of Christ himself. That because Christ has ascended to the Father and poured out His Spirit upon His church, His great glory and power are magnified, witnessed to, born forth in His people. That as the Gospel goes to the nations and lost sinners are saved by the preaching of Christ crucified, the glory of Christ and of God are made known. And this is where we really see the connection between verse 12 and verse 13. And this leads us to our second point this morning. The content, Christ's continued power in the prayers of His people. Christ's continued power in the prayers of His people. We see again in verses 13 and 14 a marvelous statement by our Lord. An almost unbelievable promise that He gives His people in John 14. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he repeats himself, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it that not only will Christ do greater works in and through his people, but whatever his people ask in his name, he will surely do it by his divine power. We see in these couple verses three amazing things. We not only see the great extent of this promise, what does our Lord say? Whatever you ask, whatever you ask, we see the great extent of this promise. We not only see the great name in which this petition is to be presented in Christ's name, but we also see the great power accompanying this promise. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. <laughs> I will do it. This, brothers and sisters, is an amazing statement by our Lord. And I think at first glance, it feels almost unbelievable. How could this possibly be true? How could this possibly be the case what does our Lord mean by these words? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And in a similar way to the previous verse, we see many of us know of the mishandlings and the misapplications of this passage, right? Often used by prosperity gospel preachers to talk about how God will give you whatever you ask for. Word of faith teachers that use this passage to essentially say God's writing a blank check. And all you have to do is ask for what you want, and He will give it to you. Ask, and you can receive anything your carnal heart or your worldly desires can think of. That this passage is simply a blank check. And again, at first glance, we have to be honest, it sort of feels like that's what's being said, right? It appears like that's what Jesus is saying. If you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it, <laughs> right? It's just what He's saying. Why can't we just say that? and walk away. We know that many people have misused this, 
They'll say things like, well, all you have to do is just say this prayer in Jesus' name, and therefore God has to answer it, right? Just say this prayer in Jesus' name. Just use those three words, in Jesus' name, and God will have to answer your prayer. But we have to ask ourselves, is that what it means to pray in Jesus' name? Is that what it means to pray in Christ's name? Is Jesus' name a secret password that unlocks supernatural healing and miraculous signs? Is it a formula that we use to receive wealth and prosperity? Is it a blank check that we can use to get whatever we want? The answer should be clear, no. <laughs> Scripture is evident. <laughs> Scripture is abundantly evident and clear that to pray in Christ's name is not a magic formula or a blank check, but it is to pray in Christ's name is to pray according to His will and for His glory. That to pray in Christ's name is to pray according to His will and for His glory. It is not about our will in prayer. It's about His will. Praying in Christ's name is to pray by faith in Christ, <laughs> that He would be magnified. It's to plead on the merits of His blood and His perfect intercession. It's to pray that Christ would be glorified in our very prayers. I love what A.W. Pink said. He said, praying in Christ's name is setting aside our wills and bowing to His perfect will. Praying in Christ's name is setting aside our will and bowing to His perfect will. This is what it means to pray in Christ's name. But you might say to me, Daryl said last time, we can't know God's will. We don't know the secret things of God. How can we pray in this way? Even though we do not know God's secret will for our lives, we have in Holy Scripture God's revealed will for His people. I know I've quoted this verse a lot lately, but I think it's very profound. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God. This is the will of God. What is God's will for your life? Your best life now? No. What's God's will for your life? Your sanctification. <laughs> your sanctification. If you don't know what to pray for, pray for that. <laughs> pray for your sanctification. Pray that God's name would be honored and glorified in your life. Pray that God's kingdom, His church, would increase and persevere. Pray that God's will, His perfect revealed will, would be done in your life. Pray that your needs would be met daily. Pray that you might be preserved and kept from temptation. Pray that your sins might be forgiven by Christ's blood, even as you seek to forgive others. Hmm, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's the Lord's Prayer. God's kingdom, God's name, God's will. Our needs, our perseverance, our forgiveness. That is what God calls us to pray for. And so we can have hope this morning that this is what it means to pray in Christ's name, and this is what it means to pray according to God's will. And so we can have assurance this morning that if we pray in this way, God will do it. Trust me, brothers and sisters, if you pray, God, please sanctify me. 
He'll do that. (laughs) God will sanctify you. It might not look like what you think it's going to look like, but God will sanctify you as you seek to be conformed to his image. And so we see the great assurance that our Lord gives us in this passage in these four simple words, I will do it. I will surely do it. That it is Christ that does the work, not us. It doesn't say, ask whatever you will in my name, and therefore you need to go out and do it. No, it is Christ doing it. It is the Spirit of Christ at work in his redeemed people. This is Christ's continued power in and through his people, conforming them to his image and working in them that which is pleasing in his sight. And so as we step back from this passage, before we can even get into the application, we have to look first at the misapplication of these verses. How people have twisted these passages of Scripture for their own selfish ends. Unbiblical interpretations, novel ideas that are not found anywhere in Scripture. As I've named some, the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it theology, using passages like this claiming that all Christians will do greater miracles than Jesus did. Word of faith teaching, the list can go on and on and on, right? That these passages are just a blank check. Just ask whatever you want. You want a Ferrari, you want a house, just ask in Jesus' name and he'll give it, right? You are a Christian. You believe in Christ, don't you? You'll do greater works than even Jesus did, greater miracles, greater signs, greater wonders. But this understanding not only misunderstands this passage of Holy Scripture, but it actually totally undermines the whole point of what Jesus is trying to say. He says that all believers will do these works. All believers will do these works. I love what Augustine said. He said, should we say one is not to be counted as a believer who does not do greater miracles than Christ? Should we say, oh, you're not doing greater miracles than Christ, therefore you must not be a believer? He says this, this would be hard, intolerable, and unreasonable. (laughs) This would be hard, intolerable, and unreasonable. He says, instead, let us look to Romans chapter 4, verse 5, where Paul says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Augustine says, this is the work in which we may be doing, the works of Christ. For even our very believing in Christ is indeed the work of Christ. (laughs) What great words. Even our very believing in Christ is indeed the work of Christ. And so far from this passage, this passage is so far from being man-centered, Arminian, or works-based, it's actually the very opposite. (laughs) It's Christ-centered. It's fully and truly reformed, and all of God's grace. It is Christ who works in us, not the other way around. He is the one that counts us righteous because of His work. He is the one that gives us hearts of flesh where there were before only hearts of stone. It is not, you must do greater miracles to be a true believer, but rather, the fact that you are even a believer at all is the greatest miracle of all, right? It's not, 
You need to do great miracles in order to prove that you're a true believer. It's the fact that you even believe that testifies to God's great work in you. And so we see how important it is to understand this rightly. But we can't just talk about what this passage doesn't mean. It's important for us to see how it indeed applies to us this morning. And I think we see in this passage that the greatness of Christ's work in his people. We see first the greatness of Christ's work in his people and in his church. That if we think about what we said before, the specific apostolic fulfillment and the general universal fulfillment in all of God's people, I think we can begin to see what our Lord is getting at with these words. Because not only did Christ continue his work from heaven during the time of the apostles, uniquely confirming the apostolic witness by the miraculous signs that accompanied them, but we can say with confidence that Christ continues his work from heaven even now in and through his church. That by the preaching of the gospel, sinners are brought to repentance. That by the work of his spirit, souls are regenerated and brought to new life and brought to this great miraculous work of sanctification. And Martin Luther in his commentary was wrestling with these passages and he says, how can these works be greater? How can these works that are greater still be performed today, right? In what sense can we say these greater works are still performed today? In what sense can we say these things? And he says this, he says, the day of miracles is past. And then he says this, miracles, of course, I love how he says, of course, miracles, of course, are the least significant works. Miracles, he says, are the least significant works because they are physical and temporary, right? Lazarus, even though he was raised from the dead, he's going to die again. (laughs) He's going to die again. Miracles, physical miracles, are physical and temporary. But then he says, the true great works which Christ speaks of here, done by the power of God, are the great works of Christ in and through his people. He says this, God's people have the gospel. (laughs) They have baptism and the Lord's Supper, and by means of which Of these, they convert sinners, snatch souls from the clutches of the devil, pulling them from hell and death and bringing them to heaven. This is what God's people have in the gospel. And he says, with these, they also comfort, strengthen, and preserve poor consciences and are able to instruct and teach them to live as Christians. This is what God is doing in and through his church. And these are the great works that our Lord talks about. And he contrasts this with the world. He says, all kings, all emperors, all the mighty and the rich, all the scholars and the sages in the world are so unable to do these works and could not purchase them with all their wealth combined. (laughs) That's a pretty profound thought, that all the kings in the world cannot do what's happening in Christ's church. No amount of money can purchase salvation from sin No amount of wealth can save a sinner. It's only the work of Christ in and through his people. And so this is the great work of Christ in us as he continues to work from heaven even now. 
We see this in places like Ephesians 2 and Philippians 2. Paul's talking about the immeasurable greatness of God's power that He worked in us who believe. And he says it's not only in raising Christ from the dead, but what's he say in chapter 2? It's raising us from spiritual death to spiritual life, seating us with Christ in the heavenly places that we might live for Him. And I love these words in Philippians 2. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is the continued greatness of Christ's work in and through His people. But we also see the greatness of Christ's promises in prayer. The greatness of Christ's promises in prayer that we have in these verses, brothers and sisters, precious and very great promises to hold on to. We don't need to run away from these verses. We don't need to try to avoid them for fear of supporting some wrong view of this passage. We need to hold fast to them. We need to grip tightly to these promises and have great confidence as we go before the Lord in prayer. That what we're doing as we pray in Christ's name is lifting up our desires to Him, offering up our very hearts in agreement to those things that are found in His Word, agreeable to His will and for His glory. This is what it means to pray in Christ's name. And that because of Christ's work of salvation, because of what He did on the cross, dying and rising, we can now come before a holy God. As we spoke to the children this morning, we have a mediator. We have one who represents us and acts upon our behalf, never seeking, never ceasing to make intercession for His people. And so because of that, we can come to God not as enemies, but as dear children, crying out, Abba, Father, confessing our sins and praying that we might find forgiveness in Christ's atonement, asking for help by the power of the Spirit to run from our sin and run towards Christ. And I think sadly, more often than not, we spend our time thinking that we can solve our problems, right? Instead of going into the Lord in prayer. I know I struggled with this this last week. You have an issue somewhere. You have something that's going on, something that you're dealing with, and we sinfully think prayer won't do anything. Prayer will not change this situation. Prayer could not possibly help out in this circumstance. And so we don't pray. <laughs> what do we do instead? We worry. <laughs> We fear. We rely on our own strength. But I think these words of our Lord give us great confidence to come before Him. He says, ask of me. Ask of me. Rely on me and I will do it. What does James 4 say? You have not because you ask not. <laughs> you have not because you ask not. I think this is so simple that we sometimes trip over it. Are we going to the Lord in prayer? Have you asked Christ for help with what you're going through? Have you gone to the Lord in prayer? Or have you been relying on your own strength and sufficiency? We have in these words wonderful promises that our Lord will hear us when we pray and that we can go to Him with our greatest needs. But maybe you're struggling this morning 
And maybe you're thinking to yourself as we reflect on this whole passage, yeah, it's great that we're talking about these greater works, but I don't see this great work in my own life, right? I'm looking to myself. It says, whoever believes in me will do these greater works. I don't feel so great. (laughs) My works don't feel all that amazing. Nothing I really do in the Christian life could possibly be of that much value. But as we zoom out and look at all of Scripture, we see that heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. All of heaven rejoices when a sinner turns from their sin and turns to Christ. This is no small and insignificant thing. This, brothers and sisters, is the great work of Christ in and through His people. But maybe you're not just struggling this morning, maybe you're discouraged Maybe you've been praying for one of your family members or friends to be converted and come to the faith. Maybe you're praying for a specific area of weakness to have help in that area, and it feels as if the Lord has not answered your prayer. I'm asking. (laughs) I'm coming to the Lord. I am seeking Him, and it feels as if He's not answering me. Why am I not getting what I asked for. Why is God not acting in this situation? We can tend to doubt God's promises and doubt what our Lord says here. But I love what Augustine said. He said, the great physician knows best. (laughs) The great physician knows best. Christ knows perfectly what we need. A good doctor does not look for temporary fixes what will feel best, or what the patient thinks will make them better, no matter how much they want it, right? Our kids come to us and they ask for sugar. I, I feel sick. I'm, I'm feeling bad, but I want candy. I want this. I want that, right? You go to the doctor. He says, you have cancer. I, I don't want to do that. I just want to sit and watch TV. I think that will make me better. No, the great physician knows what is best. The physician looks for the final cure, not for the temporary satisfaction. And so we can trust that our Lord will do what's best. He has our final good in mind. And so we can trust His words that even if He does not give us what we ask immediately, He is working for our good. He will give us exactly what we need, and we can trust His perfect and just will. So let's thank Him and praise Him for what He's done, and let's go to the Lord in prayer even now. Heavenly Father, we we come before You now in prayer. We come, Lord, seeking to lift up our desires to You. And we seek to do so, Lord, in accordance to Your will and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So often, we are prone to seek after our own desires, our own will, and our own benefit not understanding what you have called us to ask for, Lord. And so we pray this morning that you would give us great confidence, Lord, that as we come before you in prayer, even now, and as we go through our week, Lord, that you would help us to ask things that are according to your will and your glory. That you would help us to be conformed to your image. That as you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, that you would receive the honor and the glory and not us. 
Lord, would you write these things upon our hearts? Would you change us as we seek to follow Christ in all that we do? And Lord, even as we struggle to believe these things, even as we struggle, Lord, to remember these wonderful promises that you've given us, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hold fast to them, that we would cling to your truth and your word this morning, and that as you are pleased to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, you would be glorified in all your works. We pray all these things in Christ's perfect name. Amen.